a challenge to preach because he writes very differently than like the Apostle Paul or others. Um, sometimes, you know, it's, it's a stream of thought that can change at one point and then it wraps back around and, and, and comes and goes and comes again. Uh, but this book is inspired by the Word of God and by, inspired by God Himself and it's been a joy. And we're going to dive into this first section here. I want to begin reading in <clears throat> verse 5 of chapter 1. Our focus today, however, is going to be uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. But just because we can't get enough of the Word of God, I want to read starting at verse 5. So again, 1 John 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the truth and his word, excuse me, is not in us. Chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Father, we have just been addressed by you. These words penned thousands of years ago are alive and active and breathing and have intention for our hearts this morning. Lord, as we attune our hearts to you now through your perfect word, through the perfect counsel that it gives to us, help us to be willing to locate the word of God in our heart today. So I pray that you would just remove the distractions that may be around us, Lord. Help us to focus and help us to hear you. I pray that people would not hear me this morning. I pray that people would hear you this morning. And so we pray to that end and for that effect because that's your design. And we ask this together in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. On the screen you're going to see an image of a painting. This painting 
is one of St. Jerome by Francisco Mazzola. It was painted in 1530. This picture that is coming uh, was sold at Sotheby's Auction House in New York City for $842,500 in October 2012. This painting brought a lot of money. It's, it's an amazing old painting, and maybe we're having trouble. Just imagine some cool old painting on the screen from the 1530s. 842 large uh, that was dropped for this painting. Now, the person who actually bought that painting actually paid for like a $75 piece of fake art. Because, I mean, these are experts at Sotheby's. They, they look at, at collections around the world all the time. And it fooled even the experts. They thought that this painting was actually from the 1530s. It's found to have been from like the 1990s. Somebody made their own painting of what they, they interpreted as an old painting and they sold it for that. So, fast forward uh, to last year when Sotheby's, after a lawsuit, said, okay, seller of the fake painting, you not only owe, owe us $842,000, but you know, legal fees, etc., add up to $1.2 million. And they are in debt to Sotheby's now because of that fake painting. Here's why I, I wanted to illustrate this. The difference between something that's authentic and something that's fake can actually at times fool us. Sometimes we think that what is actually genuine is actually fake. That's exactly what's happening here to this church and the churches in this area in modern-day Turkey, which is why John... The one who rested with Jesus at the Last Supper. John, the one when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he said, hey, hey, uh, John, take care of my mother. This is John who writes to us because he's writing with a pastor's heart. He doesn't want his people there and he doesn't want us today to to grab onto something that is inauthentic. We We titled this... This series, Genuine Christianity, because there's a lot of things that can pass for Christianity. But what we want to be about is people who are genuine in our faith. And even some false teachers had come into this church. And these false teachers were teaching all kinds of things, such as, look, it doesn't matter what you do with the body. The body is sinful, so go ahead and sin. What you really need is enlightened knowledge or Gnosis. These were the early form of the Gnostics. They came in and said, you know, Jesus couldn't have been the Son of God because matter is evil. Therefore, Jesus, his death didn't accomplish anything. But see, the the thing is, you might think, well, you can smell that out a mile away. Well, you might think so. But they did have a form of spirituality that was convincing. And the effect of this false teaching on this church left people confused. What is the truth? Do, does sin matter? Does it matter what I do with my body? Well, these guys are saying, no, it doesn't matter. It's, it's just that we're enlightened in our knowledge of God. And, and so, so John writes this pastoral letter to these churches because he loves them and because he doesn't want to be sway, want them to be swayed by these false teachers. See, the difference between 
truth and total falsehood sometimes can be what looks like a few strokes on an old painting. The difference between the genuine article in our spiritual life can be very subtle at times. In fact, you know this to be true. We have an enemy who loves to masquerade himself as an angel of light. I got a phone call this week from uh, someone from my former congregation. and talked to him in a while, but he said, Hey, I have a question for you. Someone that I know and love is going to a convention where they're reading angel cards. And I said, what are angel cards? And he said, I don't know. That's why I'm calling you. (laughs) And so I went online and I looked up angel cards. And I said to him, after looking and doing some reading, I said, stay away. Stay away. Because when I typed in on Google angel cards, what came up were angel tarot cards. And there is the appearance of lightness and goodness and all kinds of things. And I'm no authority. I just said, stay away. Because I know this. The truth and error can be so slight at times. We can be duped. If Sotheby's hires guys, people, to do this for a living and they were totally duped, well, you know what? We can be duped too. And so John writes with with precision. He writes with skill because he cares about his church. He writes, ultimately, that their joy may be complete in Christ And and he says one other thing at the end of the book. I want to project it on the screen. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. See, these people were confused. This false teaching had wrecked them. And he's writing this letter to set the record straight because he loves them, because he cares about them, because he wants them to know that they have eternal life. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to pay careful attention to what John writes so that we don't fall into a similar pattern and be duped ourselves into thinking that everything's fine when maybe not everything is spiritually fine. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to jump into verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Now let's define sin as John defines it in this book. What is sin? He defines it in the third chapter of the book. Uh, He said sin is lawlessness. Very simply, sin is lawlessness. The sin is our refusal to submit to God's law and to his word. Many of us um, by the way, here could could define sin. You could you could give a discourse on sin. And what I'm asking you this morning, what I'm asking you this morning is, as I talk about sin for the next few minutes, I want to ask you to do something. I want to ask you to ask the Lord, Lord. Is there any ongoing pattern of sin in me that you want me to stop saying? Well, any sin that he reveals, we should want to stop, right? But I'm asking you to ask the Lord to open your heart 
See, we're not just doing some exercise here. This is, this is for our good. And, and John has written a letter and God has preserved it for thousands of years so that this morning you can hear the voice of God through the word of God. And he says that he wrote this so that we may not sin. So I want to talk about sin in three ways this morning just to stir our hearts because you're probably just like me. See, sin has a callous nature. It, it, makes us, it makes us numb to it. When we give ourselves to sin, we, we become used to it and we justify it. And so I pray that as we talk about sin for a few moments that, that we would stop justifying it. And, and any pattern or any place in our heart where, where there is the presence of sin, we would, we would confess it and walk in the grace that God has. So point number one under the subtitle of that you may not sin is this. Sin is rebellion against God and his righteous rule in our lives. That's what sin is. At its fundamental nature, sin is rebellion. Sin is refusing to obey our creator. Sin is utterly opposed to the lightness that we read about in chapter 1. You know, God is light. In him there is nothing but purity. Sin is the opposite. Sin is darkness. Sin is rebellion. Sin is walking away from the very good that that God has for us. Sin is a refusal to say, Lord, you are in charge of my life. Sin is saying, I am in charge. I know better. Sin is rebellion against God. See, here's what I, I believe about you. And here's what I believe about me. We're masters at repackaging sin. We're masters at justifying sin. And maybe I'm alone in this, but I see this in my own life. I see how I can get comfortable with certain sins, and I don't want to get comfortable with any kind of sin. See, we, we can talk like this. Well, you know, I wasn't angry at you. I was I was just venting my frustration. Uh, I wasn't gossiping about her. I was just sharing a concern. I, I wasn't cheating on my taxes. Are you getting all those things in the mail these days? I am. The stack is piling. I wasn't cheating on my taxes. I was just rounding down some numbers. You know, we, we, can, we can make justification for any and every sin under the planet. I, I wasn't I wasn't truly, you know, looking sinfully. I was just, I was just looking. John writes that we might not sin. John writes that you and I would be confronted again this morning with the sinfulness of our sin that we might, that we might actually weep over our sins that we would confess them, that we would be restored to fellowship to God as we confess them. See, friends, it's so easy to justify our sin, and I'm preaching first to myself. Listen, to, I couldn't get beyond this, this quote that I read. Among civilized people, sin is usually discreet. It is usually encased in attractive containers of rationalization. And it is not usually considered to be very serious. Not many people weep 
over their sin these days, even though it stands to reason that nothing in all the world is more wicked or more terrifying than insubordination against our Creator. I don't want to be a civilized person and just create space through my rationalization for sin. John has written that I might not sin. John has written that you might not sin. So this is a call, dear friends, to call a spade a spade, to call sin, sin. And this is a call that we might not sin. Dear church, let us together not sin. Why? Because every act of sin is defiance to our Creator. Every act of sin is thumbing our nose at our Creator, saying we know better and we don't care what you say. Every act of sin is rebellion against the Creator who loved us and gave Himself for us. See, we get comfortable with sins. And I remember reading a book, this was a number of years ago, by Jerry Bridges. It's a great book. I commend it to you. It's called Respectable Sins. He wrote this book for the church because in the church we have come to uh, call some really bad sins out there in the world. You know, we can see those a mile away and we, we talk about those, but what we don't often talk about are the sins that are close to us and the sins that are easy to justify. And he says this, we can readily identify sin in the immoral and, uh, or unethical conduct of people in society at large, but we often fail to see it in what I call the acceptable sins of the saints. In effect, we, like society are at large, live in denial of our sins. So lest you think, man, you know, Jeremy's on a sin hunt this morning. Well, you know, to the degree that God wants to reveal something in your heart, that's why I'm asking, would you pray that as, as you're hearing the word of God, that the Holy Spirit would just lead you, Lord, if there's any way in me, help me to see it, help me to forsake it, help me to repent of it, help me to stand under, under the cross which declares forgiveness over it so that I can walk in freedom from that sin. Yeah, John writes that we may not sin. What kinds of sins might come to mind? I don't know, but maybe discontentment, grumbling and complaining, unthankfulness, impatience, anger, selfishness, lack of self-control. You know, the other day I watched the end of a, a Kansas State game and what happened was you know, one team was blowing out the other team. And in the last remaining seconds, you know, a guy stole the ball and went for a layup. And the opposing team was sick and tired of this. And so he, he made a fine block to the guy who was about to make a dunk. But what ensued, you, you may have seen this just the other day. What ensued was a total brawl with, with players picking up metal chairs ready to smash each other at the end of a basketball game, like total lack of self-control. We can see that. Here's my point. We can see that and say, oh, look at the world. They're so bad. They get blocked and they, they're smashing each other with metal chairs. Well, you know what? While that is bad and while that is wrong, you know, is our heart all that far away from that? 
We may not be picking up the chair, but it might be in our heart to pick up a chair. Do you know what I'm saying? God says, I'm writing these things so that you can, you can get away from this. What has sin ever done for you? What has sin ever done for you? What has sin ever done for me? Sin is so illogical. It leads us to death. He's writing to lead us to life. So that's why I want to ask you, Lord, help me. Help me to see sin for what it is in my heart. Help me to confess it because, because you've written this letter that I might not sin. So sin is rebellion against God. Number two, sin mocks. This is, this is serious, dear friends. Sin mocks the suffering of our Savior. I, I hope this you know, sobers us just for a few moments together. The reason the Son of God appears was to destroy the work of the devil. That's why Jesus came. He came to demolish Satan, to crush his head. And every time you or I allow ourselves to sin, we yield ourselves to sin, we are fanning into flame this crushed serpent and saying, come on, you can live a little longer in me. No. Every time we sin, we mock Jesus and his death on the cross for us. Christ came into the world to destroy sin, not to fan it into flame. And because he loves us, he came to destroy sin. See, this is the greatest act of love that God could ever have done, is to come into this world and to take the wrath of our sin. We deserve to be punished. God, by his mercy, sent Jesus Christ. And he wants us to walk in life, not in death. So as we get casual about sin, dear friends, as I get casual about sin, do you know what I'm saying to my Savior who suffered for me? I'm looking at the cross as I'm sinning and I'm saying, I see you're suffering there for me, but I want to do this. This makes me feel good. I'm sorry. I don't really care. I'm going to do what I want to do. That's what sin is. Sin is rebellion. Sin makes a mockery of the cross. And so we dare not, dear friends, we dare not as a church be content with sin. We dare not as individuals be okay with sin in the camp. May God help us, dear friends, to get it out of the to confess it. What does 1 John 1, 9 say? Let me read it again very clearly. If we confess our sins, what does he do? He is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, if you are a born-again believer in this room, when you were born again, the, the rebirth means that all of your sin has been covered past, present, and future. So, You are secure in Christ. However, when we sin day to day, the reason that God asks us to confess our sin is because he wants us to be regularly repeating, Lord, I agree with your assessment that I'm a sinner. I still sin. I'm sorry. I'm I'm working on it. I'm, I'm, I'm appropriating the grace of God. 
But as you confess, do you know what happens when you confess your sin? You are reminded of something. And that something spurs us on. When you confess your sin, you're like, Lord, I could never earn my forgiveness. Please forgive me and please help me. I need your help. If it wasn't for the cross, I wouldn't be forgiven in the first place. So you are rehearsing the gospel and then you are appropriating the gospel because God has come and he's written that we may not sin. See, it's not God's will for any of us to walk in any kind of sin. And God has made provision for us that we might not sin. He gives us the victory over sin. The power of sin is what? It's broken. Praise the Lord. It's broken. You and I don't have to sin anymore. Wow, what a great grace that is to us. We don't have to sin anymore. May the Lord help us. To not sin. Because, not because we have this big list of do's and don'ts in the Bible. No, that's not what the Bible is about. Because we have a new heart. And we don't want to sin anymore. We don't want to do those things. I mean, let me read that list again. Like, what kind of life is this? Discontentment, unthankfulness, impatience, anger, pride, selfishness, lack of self-control, self-righteousness, envy, jealousy, lust of the mind. Who wants that junk? Not me. I want to leave it behind. John writes and says, I'm writing these things. I'm writing these basic fundamental truths of the word of God so that you might not sin. So that you can rehearse them in your mind and say, Lord, forgive me when I fall. Thank you for the cross. Now, give me the power today to live for you. Because that's what your indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. You give me power So that I don't have to return to the sloth again. I can move forward on the path of victory. Sin is treason against God. Sin mocks our Savior who suffered for us. Sin, thirdly, it endangers the joy of our assurance. See, John is eager that every Christian, not just those to whom he writes, but all of us, He's eager that we would enjoy the confidence and the assurance of our salvation. One thing that I love about John is he doesn't mince his words. In fact, in chapter 3, like, whoo, buckle up. I mean, it's like he's going to punch us in the face. And it's a great punch. Like, we need it. Um, But he does. He says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. He says that in verse John 3, 9. The previous verse, here's how he lands it. He says, whoever makes a practice of singing is of the devil. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Now, I don't want to water down the word of God. I'm just going to let it stand right there. It's saying, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of The devil. So, dear friends, sin endangers the joy of our assurance. Sin endangers this confidence that God intends for us to have because 
it trips us up. This sin that so easily entangles. So if we make a practice of sin, we are endangering ourselves and it robs us of the joy of our assurance. So as we, as we conclude this first point, I just want to ask again, as I say what John says, I write these things that you may not sin Maybe at the close, maybe even right now, there is a confession that needs to come from you before your Lord. I want to urge you, oh, dear friend, would you, would you confess it? Don't worry if you can come down front, but you don't have to come down front. I don't want any of us, myself included, I don't want any of us to rush past this verse. Just say, oh, I'm fine, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. You may be good, but you may not. May the Lord help us to not sin. He goes on. Here's point two. You have an advocate. So let me read it again. My little children. By the way, he says my little children six times in this this book. Um, He's not meaning to condescend. By this time in his life, John is pretty old. This is written like 85 A.D.-ish. And so John, I mean, if he was around Jesus, if he was at the Lord's Supper, um, you're doing the math, this guy's like probably 85-ish or something like that. So he's writing to these, this church and these, probably these series of churches. He's writing because he loves them and he has this relationship with them. So that's why he says little children. He says it throughout the letter. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So here's, here's the second part of the equation. See, we, we must not fall into the trap that is very common for us to fall into. We either tend to fall on the side of taking sin too lightly, which I think is us generally in America. Uh, I think we take sin too lightly, generally speaking. Um, he doesn't want us to, to take it too lightly, nor does he want us to walk around in, in this sense of condemnation. Oh, I sinned. I'm, I'm so awful. God could never look at me. No, uh, he doesn't want us to do that either. So he's, he's correcting both sides. So the first part of verse one is like, Hey, take sin seriously. It really matters what you do with your body. Don't believe these false teachers that say, Hey, it doesn't really matter. Do whatever you want. No, it matters. But, part two, he said, but if you do sin, don't wallow in condemnation. Don't, don't stay low. No, go to the cross because there you have a propitiator, someone who has made the wrath of God. He's taken the wrath of God and turned it into favor by his propitiation. So propitiation is God's wrath against sin, sin, excuse me, has been satisfied. It's been turned. It's been changed into favor by the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. See, the reality is somebody had to pay for sin. We, we sang this this morning. God is a God of justice. He can't just sweep sin under the carpet. He is a God of justice, but he is also a God of mercy. So he sends to the earth this advocate, this one. As I was preparing, I just couldn't help but think of the song that I grew up 
singing as a kid in, in New England. Guilty, vile, and helpless we, spotless Lamb of God is He. Full atonement can it be. Hallelujah, right, hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Just in the moment when you're just like, oh man, you know, you're reading verse one, I am a sinner and help me to pay attention. And, and just in the moment you might be tempted to be condemned, he says, out of care and out of love. But if you do sin, and we all do in this room, we all do. But if you do sin, remember, you have an advocate. Now let's think about this for a minute, dear church. We have an advocate in heaven, one who pleads before the Father. Does the Father stand as our accuser? No, he does not. He does not stand as our accuser, but he stands as one who will judge. And we have an advocate. Think about this. Who is, who is our advocate? It's the Father's Son. You know, God the Father isn't in heaven, dear friends. He's not in heaven like this judge who's just raging angry and like it's only his death that keeps him from coming after you. No, that's not the kind of father we have. We have a father who, when we sinned in rebellion against him, devised a plan. And the plan was perfect. And the plan employed his own son, his own dear son, with whom he had had eternal, perfect, unhindered fellowship for all time. And he said, you know what, I'm going to, I love these people so much that I'm going to send them. In fact, you know who it was that penned that? For God so loved, it was the same guy. The, the guy that wrote First John is the same one that wrote the Gospel of John. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. This is the kind of advocate we have. We have a, we have a perfect father who stands in heaven. We have a, a perfect son who advocates on our behalf. And so as our guilt, as our sin rises, you know what our advocate does? He says, dear father, look, look at my hands. Look at my crown. Look at my side. See what I've done for this, dear one? Does my sacrifice cover, father? It does, son. That's the kind of advocate we have. Sometimes we think God is just angry at us with our sin. No, he has wrath against sin. Don't get me wrong. But he loves us, and that's why he sent Jesus. Because he doesn't want us to bear the weight of that wrath. And so he invites us to come. And I, I just want to invite anyone who doesn't know this kind of love this morning. You might be here listening to this, and you're like, I, I'm not sure that I'm forgiven. God, through Jesus Christ, is offering to you forgiveness of sin fully and freely. You can be free of your sin. If you'll just turn and confess him as your savior, if you repent of your sins, Jesus will be your advocate. As it is, if you are not in Christ this morning, you are in grave peril. The word of God says that you will go to hell if you reject Jesus Christ and his offer of forgiveness. God is offering you salvation today. Oh, can I plead with you? Would you receive that salvation? Would you receive it? Turn your eyes to Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face.
All this stuff that we, we get, uh, give all kinds of attention to. No. God has come that you might be forgiven. Turn to Jesus this morning, my friend. Turn to Him. He loves you. He gave Himself for you. This other song that we sing comes to my mind. I want to read it for you. Before the throne of God above, we have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands as our advocate, no tongue can bid me thence depart. No tongue of Satan, the deceiver and the accuser, who loves to accuse the saints. No tongue of his can ever bid us out because there is an advocate, dear friends, who loves us with a perfect love. And his, his advocacy is ongoing and his advocacy is done because his forgiveness is complete. Let's, let's read one more verse. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end a glorious end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on Him. Praise the Lord. To look on Him and pardon me. See, the justice of God and the mercy of God meet at the cross of Jesus Christ. There, These two that seem like they could never meet, they meet together in glorious harmony. The mercy of God and the justice of God so that people like Jeremy Bell can be forgiven of his sin. Praise the Lord. Why do I want to go back to sin? I have no idea. It's so illogical. Praise the Lord. God has met me and God has met many of you. And if you don't know this mercy, he is here to meet with you today. Can I plead with you? Meet Jesus, your Savior. He has come. One more thing that John says, and we're going we're gonna to finish with this. And it's the third point that we make today. Verses 3 to 6. Obedience confirms your salvation or the lack of it. Obedience confirms your salvation or the lack of it. Look with me again at verses 3 to 6, if you would. John writes, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. See, in, in this, these like four verses here, two times, this is his intention. By this you'll know. By this you'll know. See, John, he wants us to know whose we are. He says, by this you're going to know. How? If you're walking in obedience to the commands of God. Now, there's not a person in this room 
or a person in history save Jesus Christ who has ever perfectly walked in the commands of God. So it can't mean that. It can't mean perfectionism. What it does mean, though, is that God, through salvation, has changed the desire and intention of our heart so that we might walk in a manner of Jesus. That we might, that we might long to be more like Jesus. You know, I, I pray in 2020, as we celebrate it, um, I pray that, that I am more like Christ on January 1st, 2021 than I am right now. I pray that's true of you too. Please, Lord, help it to happen. Right? Like, I, I don't want to stay where I am. I want to keep moving. As I was able to preach Hebrews 10.23, let us hold fast our confession of hope to people in Kenya on New Year's Eve. It was a joy because they were saying the same thing. As I, as I would proclaim these truths, these people would say, Amen. And we talked about 2020 being the year where God is going to do a greater work in our hearts He's going to have more ability to do, accomplish more because we are walking with him. We are dwelling with him. We are abiding with him. See, look at that last verse. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So let's just talk about abiding for a moment. Uh, this afternoon, tomorrow morning, as you, as you get into the, the role of the work week, what does abiding look like? Abiding with Jesus Christ. Well, we know that abiding in Christ certainly begins with, with being born again. And then as we are born again, we abide with Him through His Holy Spirit, through the Word of God. And so I pray that, that you and all of us together, we would be renewed in our passion for the Word of God. That we might sit and dwell and drink and eat and enjoy with him. When we were in Kenya, you're going to hear Kenya's stories. I hope that's okay for the next uh, six months. Uh, One time, though, near the end of our time, we really wanted to give our kids uh, a certain experience. And we made sure they were good and hungry before we went there because we went into downtown Nairobi and there was this cool restaurant that was a meat fest. So we had 17 different kinds of meat. There was crocodile. There was ostrich. The very first thing that fell on my plate, because they come with these big skewers and just like, you know, it falls on your plate, was lamb steak. I've never had such a good meat, and now you're all hungry for lunch. Um, but I've never had such a good meat as lamb steak. Here's the thing. As we ate and we, we uh, together said, all right, we're paying for this. So um, we're going to eat a lot today and enjoy it, and, and we'll, we'll suffer the consequences later. As we ate this meat, as one after the next, as these 17 rounds came, you know, as my belly was progressively being filled, I, I, I was thinking of this. Lord, this is awesome. Thank you for meat, right? Thank you for meat. I don't know that I could think of a better gift right now than, than this steak that's falling on my plate. So I gave thanks to God for meat. And then I thought of, you know, this meat is so temporary in its satisfaction. You eat it and a few hours, okay, maybe a day later, you're hungry again. Here's the thing. Abiding with Jesus Christ is satisfying. It stays with you. And, and you know what you want? You just, you just want more. Like when you truly abide with Jesus, you just, you just want more of Him. 
So I love these songs that just invite us back to that place of enjoying Jesus. You know, when we talk about sin, it's because, again, because God does not want us to walk in the darkness. He's got a better way for us. He's got the lightness of walking. You know, do you want to be an impatient person or do you want to be a patient person? Do you want to be a a self-righteous person or do you want to be aware of your righteousness given by God, which makes you humble? I want to be this. I don't want to be that. This is why this letter is written. So that we can be sure that we are the sons and daughters of God. So that we can say no to sin and that we can embrace Jesus Christ and abide with him. Truly enjoy him and say, Lord, thank you for being with me. Thank you for saving my soul. Thank you for rescuing me. Thank you for doing what I could never have done. Thank you as God creates in us, in this church, greater thankfulness. Do you know that that's one of the things I believe the Lord wants to do in our church in this year, in 2020, creating a people of greater thankfulness. Now, I say to you, I I believe this is true, that we are a thankful church, but we have not yet arrived. I believe the Lord wants to do a work in us, a work of sanctification, a work of his Holy Spirit, not some work by some man, I believe the Lord wants to produce in us, through the work of the Spirit, a greater thankfulness. Do you know what I I believe is going to continue to stand out in our world? I mean, we're called to share the gospel and let us continue to do that. One of the ways the gospel is evident in us is in an increased thankfulness. Genuine thankfulness. And I believe the Lord wants to do that. And that's going to have effect on our meetings. It's going to have effect on our care groups. It's going to have effect on our youth ministry. It's going to have effect on our children's ministry. It's going to have effect everywhere. Because God is making us a greater people of greater thankfulness. And he does that as we look at sin and call it what it is. And then claim our forgiveness under the cross of Christ. And then rejoice that the power of this stinking sin has been broken. And then we walk in that newness of life. That's what I believe the Lord wants to do in 2020 in my heart and in your heart. Well, let me call the worship team out on stage as we, we find a way to conclude now. At the, at the outset of this message, I asked you if you would consider praying, Lord, open my eyes, open my heart to wherever it may be that I'm allowing sin to be present. And, and I believe the Lord is answering that prayer as we've been talking together, as you've heard the word of God. And so here's what I just want to say as a final word. Would you respond? Respond to your Lord who died on the cross that you might be free of that particular sin that plagues you. He has given you the power. He's given you the ability. He's given you the Holy Spirit so that we can walk in a different manner. And I pray this morning that you and I and us as Grace Community Church that we would not sin, but rather remember that we have an advocate who loves us And has made the way for us. He has declared his righteousness over us. So regardless of where you are this morning. If you're in Christ. You're righteous. 
Praise the Lord. Therefore, we have all the greater strength to walk in his righteousness in the day to come. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to close and we're going to sing a song about the grace that God gives us to walk. The grace that God gives us to make decisions that honor him and reflect him. And if you need to just stop singing and do business with God, I want to encourage you to do that. Don't just breeze by this, but let us hear this word. God has given us this word that we might not sin and that we might have grace to walk day by day for his glory. So would you stand with me? Lord, we, we don't want to be a people who just hears the word and, and then goes away and forgets about what we've heard. You've given us this word for a purpose. We've heard it. And now help us to respond in humility and in grace. Lord, we love you. We trust you. We thank you. And Lord, we honor you now as we sing this song in closing.